Let's say a word of prayer. Lord, have mercy. We ask you to have mercy on us, Lord. Um, You know um, the importance of this material that you've given for presentation. We ask that you bind the devil wherever he is right now. We ask that the technology come into cooperation with what your wishes are, Lord, and that your name may be glorified. Uh, We just ask that whatever the matter is with the um, technology today be cast aside so that your word may go forward to your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me start with this um, quote that I wanted to share with you originally. In the book of education, I want you to understand the setting of this entire discussion that we're going to go into over the next three hours or so. It's in education page 190. And it reads, the student should learn to view the the word as a whole and to see the relation of its parts. He He should gain a knowledge of its grand and central theme of God's original purpose for the world of the rise of the great controversy and the work of redemption. He should understand the nature of the two principalities that are contending for supremacy and should learn to trace their working through the records of history and prophecy to the great consummation. He should see how this controversy enters into every phase of human experience, how in every act of life he himself reveals the one or the other of the two antagonistic motives and how whether he will or not he is even now deciding upon which side of the controversy he will be found. What this is simply saying, friends, is that whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, we are surrounded by a great controversy that's raging all around us. That controversy is between Christ and his angels and Satan and his angels. How many of you did not know this? How many of you keep that at the top of your mind every day. Amen. Because that's something that should be paramount in our thinking as we go through our life from day to day, that we are in the midst of a great controversy. And what I want to share with you is a, top, uh, a series of topics called Lessons in Warfare. And taking illustrations from real-life battles and um, other conflicts that have taken place in history and in the Bible and drawing a spiritual parallel from that. I do. <laughs> I, that's fine. I, I cannot get the view correctly to see my notes. And this is the first time this has happened. All right. I want to start with the quote. It says, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. That was said by Martin Luther King. I want to share with you another passage. It says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have what? Seen. Or let them fade from your hearts as long as you live. 
Teach them to your children and to their children and, and their children after them. And what that's saying is that we should have an understanding of what's happened in the past. Amen? We should know about things that have happened in the past so that we can apply them to things that may happen to us presently and in the future. So, we're talking about the last man out. This is part one. Do you know and trust your commander? I want to tell you a story about a man by the name of Hiro Anoda. Hiro was a Japanese soldier in the midst of World War II. We're talking about faithfulness, loyalty, dedication. On December 17, 1944, the Japanese army, army sent a 23-year-old soldier by the name of Hiro Onoda to the island of the Philippines. He was sent there with a team of other soldiers, a small group that were to conduct guerrilla warfare in the jungles of the Philippines. Onoda was, as he was departing his mission, his commanding officer gave him some very specific instructions. He said, Hero, under no circumstances are you to take your own life. He says, whether it be one year, five years, ten years, whatever the case may be, do not give up. Do not take your own life. Do not give in to the enemy. And if you know anything about the Japanese soldier, if his commanding officer tells him, do not take your own life, that's a very significant statement because even in that very war, World War II, Japanese soldiers were ta taking their own lives as kamikaze pilots. So there was some honor tied up in losing your life in battle even at your own hand. But he was told, under no circumstances, hero, must you take your own life. He says, you are, if you have to eat coconuts, eat coconuts. If you have to eat bananas, eat bananas green. But do not give up. We will come back to get you. Okay? That's a very, very significant point that you should remember for this, in, in this story. So by February of 1945, the Allied forces, they attacked the island of the Philippines and quickly overtook the defenses there. As they moved inland, Anoda and his team of men, they retreated back into the jungles of the Philippines. And it consisted of himself and about four other men. They survived rationing their rice supply and, of course, eating coconuts and green bananas like they were told to. And every now and then they would kill one of the locals' cows in order to survive. Soon, one of the soldiers that he was working with found a note saying that the war ended in August of 1945. It says, come down from the mountains. So Anoda and his soldiers, they decided that it was a hoax, that this was not true. It was propaganda by the enemy set up to lure them out so they would give up their position. But they were given instructions never to give up. So they ignored it. And one year went by. Two years went by. Planes would fly over the area, dropping flyers out because they knew that these soldiers were there saying, come out. The war is over. They eventually got letters and pictures of the loved ones of these soldiers, dropping them, saying, the war is over. Come out. But these soldiers would not give up their positions under any circumstance because they thought that this was an effort of the enemy to lure them out and overtake them. So Onoda and his men lived in the jungle for years, constantly Occasionally engaging and carrying out acts of sabotage. 
Okay, they were still at war. They ended up killing several residents of the Philippines. They would sabotage their crops. Whenever they would um, come into the jungle to try to find them, Anoda and his men would fire on them as if they were enemy forces. At a certain point, a few of his men snuck away. And in the course of time, between having skirmishes with local residents and local militia, his men were killed, and it was Anoda himself who was the last man standing. By that time, it was February of 1974. That was 29 years after World War II ended. And the way he was convinced to stop fighting was that a 29-year-old college student from Japan heard about his case and said, I'm going to go and I'm going to find him. So he went into the jungles looking for Inoda, knowing that there was a soldier out there who was still fighting World War II. And he eventually found him. And how many of you would be able to approach this gentleman knowing that he was firing on people, thinking that they were the enemy? That's one thing. But he finally found him and convinced him that the war was over. But Anoda said, listen, I will not surrender my position because I have been given instructions by my commanding officer never to give up. And I have to hear it from him that this war is over. So what the college student did was he went back to Japan. Two weeks later, he found Anoda's commanding officer. He had become a bookseller in Japan. And you could see he had put on weight. He was um, no longer thinking about the military as much as he was when he gave Anoda those orders. And they, he came and got Anoda, but he didn't come without authorized papers from the government of Japan releasing Anoda from his duties. And he went before Anoda in the jungles of the Philippines, and there was a table. He gave him his discharge papers, decommissioning him. Anoda looked at them, and it says that he had a moment of silent anger. And then he took off his gun, took out the bullets, laid it on the table, took off his pack, put it on the table, and he wept openly. He had given 29 years of his life fighting a battle that had long been over. Between he and his soldiers during those years, they killed over 30 civilians unnecessarily and wounded hundreds more. There's a passage in the Bible, Luke 18, 8, which says, When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find what? Shall he find faith on the earth? That's the question that's posed to us today. That's the challenge. We are living in the last days. And when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? So today, how committed are you? Spiritual darkness is everywhere. And time has progressed and many have questioned the validity of God's word. We're here in the year 2012. If you talk to our parents, you would think 
that the Lord was going to come when they were kids. And they can't believe that the year 2012 has come. And many of us think that in our generation, that the Lord will be here before we have our first gray hair. I'm telling you that we have to understand why we are a part of this. And there's a lesson in warfare of faithfulness to our commander and obeying and understanding the words of your commander that will get you through a difficult situation with very, very few instructions. Now let's talk about someone who knew the voice of their commander. And first of all, who's our commander? Jesus Christ is our commander. And who would know Jesus? Who, who, who has had an experience with Jesus? That's a question I ask myself. Who had an experience with Jesus Christ who knew him personally, who saw him, who heard him, who knew him as a man? And my mind immediately goes to John, the disciple. John is called the beloved. He's the disciple that Jesus loved the most. He's distinguished above all the other apostles as the one who Jesus loved. He won the friendship of Christ as the personal friend of Jesus Christ. That's a special place to be. He was one of the three permitted to see Jesus in his full glory on the Mount of Transfiguration and, his, and saw his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was the one who Jesus gave the care of his mother to as he was dying on the cross. Do you think that Jesus and John had a special relationship? So do you think that John is a credible source to find out what the mind of Christ would be like as he gives instructions, what the character of Christ would be like? Do you think that John would be a credible source to understand the character of Christ? I think so. I think that John would have something to say that would benefit all of us. We are told that John clung to Jesus as a vine clings to a pillar. That's in Acts of the Apostles. John clung to Jesus during his life as a vine clings to a pillar. How many of us right now can say that we are that close to Jesus Christ? The love and devotion that John displayed to Christ give a, the, the character of that, we're told it's of untold value to the Christian church. So, John has a special place amongst the disciples, though. And I want you to pay attention to this. He was the last man standing. He was the last of the 12 disciples. He was the last one living. And there's something special about John, why I believe he was allowed to be the last of the disciples. In the decades following Christ's ascension, the young church began to rapidly grow. Both Jewish and Roman authorities, they desperately sought to destroy that young church. One of the reasons the Christian church of that time continually grew and converts came into the church, even as they were being killed, was because the testimony of this man, John. John, who knew Christ personally, in the face of withering apostasy, as Christ had already left, John found himself as the last of the 12 apostles who actually saw Christ in the flesh. He had a high-definition, 3D experience with, Christ, with Jesus Christ. But what allowed John to have this experience? Because there's something that we're told, that John and Judas, 
had very similar personalities. How many of you knew this? John and Judas, it, it, was, a, it was like a revelation to me when I, when I came upon this, that they had similar personalities. John was a fisherman, and I'm not talking about a sports fisherman. How many of you ever met a commercial fisherman who fishes for his living? It's usually a rough individual, okay? It's someone who's not um, endowed with many social graces. And I don't want to insult uh, any fisherman here, but fishing is hard work. And John did not naturally have the excellence of character that he's known for. You know, we think of John as this soft and gentle person, and you see pictures of him laying his head on the shoulder of Jesus. Nah, uh -uh. <laughs> that wasn't John. John was born with serious character issues. He was proud. He was self-assertive. He was ambitious for honor. He was impulsive. He was headstrong, and he was resentful when offended. Sounds a lot like Judas, huh? We are told that they had the very similar personality types. But there's there something that separated John from Judas. If you remember, John and his brother James were called what? Sons the sons of thunder. Did that sound like two nice get-along guys? I don't think so. <laughs> sons of thunder. He says he had an evil temper. He had the desire for revenge. He had the spirit of criticism. These traits and more were all packed into the disciple which we are told that Jesus loved. Kind of gives us some hope, huh? Those are not fuzzy and flattering characteristics, friends. The Lord says he resists the proud. But we're told that he loved John. And John had these personality traits. Like I was saying, he, has, he had serious character issues. And I want to just show you two examples of the character issues that our good friend John had. Because I, 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 this one really, really blows my mind. It was when John and the disciples were walking amongst the Samaritans. And the Samaritans did something to offend Jesus. And John got upset. Okay? He felt that Jesus had been slighted. He felt that they had disrespected Jesus. And John, listen to this, John asked Jesus for permission to call down fire from heaven and consume those people. Did, did that sound like something that a guy who Christ loved, did that sound like something that he should be saying? Here's another situation. John and his brother James, they went to their mom, okay, and got their mom to come to Jesus and say, can one of my sons sit on your left and can the other one sit on your right when you establish your kingdom? Uh, you know, I'd be like, you know, get my mom to come and ask someone to give me a more or less a job promotion? Come on. But what happened was Jesus said, you do not even realize what you're asking. Just can, can you bear the cross that I'm going to bear? Can you die the death that I'm going to die? And listen to this. What was their response? They said yes. 
They said, yes, we can. In ignorance. In ignorance. But you know something? That was almost prophetic because John and James would indeed be baptized with a similar baptism that Christ did. There's something about John that I want you all to, to, to pay attention to very closely. John wanted to be like Jesus Christ. Beneath his rough exterior, Jesus saw a devoted, sincere, and loving heart. The depth and fervor of, of John's love for Jesus Christ, that was not the cause of Christ's love for him, but that was the effect of that love. John wanted to be like Jesus. And under the transforming influence of the love of Christ, he did become meek and lonely. Praise the Lord for that. Because of the transforming love that Christ displayed for John, John's character was changed. Do you think John knew his commander? So much so that it transformed his personality. John took time to be closely associated with Jesus Christ, above all the other disciples, to know him and to observe him. So I want to direct you to 1 John 1, 1 and 2. And this passage gives very, very clear evidence of how John observed his commander. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have what? What sense is that? What sense? No, well, not, not tense, but sense. Hearing, which we have what? Seen. Which sense is that? Which our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have what? Which sense? This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim it to you that eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. What we're looking at right there is someone who had an experience with someone that was multidimensional. He saw, he heard, he touched, and he believed. He had tangible evidence that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that tangible evidence, my friends, is something that transformed John from being a rough, coarse fisherman into the disciple that Jesus Christ loved. And do you think that that's something that we can experience today? Of course it is, because if you don't get anything in this session, I want you to get this. Jesus Christ in John 1, 1, in in John 1, in in the Gospel of John, equates himself with the Word. The Word and Jesus are on the same level. Okay? Are you following me so far? Christ and his Word are equal. John observed Christ in the flesh. And we can equally observe Christ through his written word, the Bible. We can equally observe the character and nature of our commander, Christ, by observing him and his actions in his word. And we can be transformed just like John was. Amen? So I've got a challenge for you today to seek out a deep personal experience with Jesus Christ. Let him transform you and then share your testimony. Now, I want to 
point out a couple things. The audible dimension that, what did John hear? What did John hear Christ say? Because this is it's a very simple exercise, but there's power in observing the man Christ Jesus. He heard these words come out of Christ's word, mouth. Peace be still. And the elements obeyed him. What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the seas obey him. What else did he hear Christ say? Arise, take up your bed and walk. And a man who had been lame for 38 years had no choice. He had to get up and obey the voice of his creator. I want to talk about the words of Christ. And Ellen White says something in letter four, 1902. She says, we need to understand these words. And the words that she's talking about are right here. It says, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are what? Spirit and they are life. She says, we need to understand the words of Christ. When he says his words are spirit and life. She says, all who study the word are are represented as what? Eating the word, feeding on Christ, even as the bodily necessities must be supplied daily. How many of you plan on eating today? How many of you plan on eating tomorrow? How many of you plan on eating more than one meal tomorrow? And how many of you plan on taking more than 15 minutes to eat those meals? What we're told is that the neglect of the word means what? Starvation for the soul. We are all to feast upon the word of God. Just like you would feast on your next meal. And we take all kinds of time, effort, and care involving all kinds of emotions to eat our meals. But do we take that kind of care to eat and digest the word of God? How many of you took your personal Bible study today as seriously as you just took lunch? I've seen men and women literally fight over their next meal. In America, where food is rotting on the shelf, but neglect to eat the word of God. She says, the word to the believer is a vital matter. Study the word and practice the word, for it is what? It is your life, even more so than the food that you put in your mouth. Let's talk about the importance of words. Sunday, October 30th, 1938, millions of radio listeners were shocked when a radio news alert announced the arrival of Martians. People panicked when they heard that the Martians were attacking America's cities in a ferocious and unstoppable attack on this planet. Many people ran out of their homes screaming. There was widespread bedlam. There were women who were going into labor. There were people who were having heart attacks and dying. People were putting on gas masks, walking in the streets and going to bomb shelters because a radio program said that we are under attack. People fled their homes, loaded up their cars, 
and took this very seriously. People went to churches to pray. Women were having miscarriages. People were in hysteria. They thought that the end was near. But what was happening was radio listeners were actually listening to a portion of a well-known book called War of the Worlds. And the power of words had fooled the listeners. We need to heed the words of Christ. The same high-definition experience with Christ's words that John had is available to us today through the study of Scripture. And I want to I leave that with you, that we need to understand that although Christ may not be here in the flesh, his words are equal with him. And the words that he's given us are spirit and life. Now let's talk about the vis visible dimension. Christ John saw some things. He saw Christ walk on water. And I don't know if you have ever seen something that's just transformed your thought pattern and, and realigned and reoriented how you think about something. I've never seen a man flying or a man walking on water. But do you think that if you saw this, do you think it would alter the way you thought about that person who was doing it? Do you think? I think so. If I saw one of you in here walk on water, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to think differently about you. Okay? I'm going to think that, you're, that there's something else going on. This is the one that really, really strikes me, the transfiguration. When you think about what happened on that mountain, when Peter, James, and John were allowed to see Christ transfigured, what they saw was Christ transformed back from his human state into his godly state. And that's not something that you can observe and be the same. You cannot remain the same after seeing Christ like that. After beholding something like that, be, by beholding, what happens? And do you think that that would change you to see God face to face that way? What did, what did John touch and feel that, that changed him? Do you think seeing that boy's lunch multiplied? He saw the five loaves and fishes that came. And he also helped collect the 12 baskets of fragments at the end. Do you think he had tangible evidence that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? He knew Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of his, too. He saw Lazarus dead, and he saw Jesus Christ use words to raise him back to life. Would that make a difference to you? And then, of course, he saw the crucifixion. He saw the man who did all of those things that we just described voluntarily lay down his life as a lamb to the slaughter. Do you think that made an impression on John? When someone who he had confirmed firm, tangible evidence was the Son of God. 
when he saw him hanging on the cross. Do you think that made an impression? Because he realized he didn't have to do that. He realized at that point that it was a total act of love. He volunteered himself to the death. But he also saw him rise. He had evidence that Christ rose from the grave. He saw the wounds in his hands. It says that John was one of the first people at the tomb. It says that he even outran Peter to get to the tomb when, when, Christ, um, when news of his resurrection took place. I want to leave you with this. He told them that they will be persecuted and distressed, but they would find relief in referring to their experience, remembering the words he had spoken to them. He told them that they could overcome as he had overcome, that their lives could not be taken from them until their mission should be accomplished. Now I want you to think about that. That's the words that Christ left with his disciples, saying that their lives could not be taken from them until their mission would be accomplished. Now let's go to Anoda. His commander did not leave him with words like that. Yet he remained faithful in battle for 29 years. What if our commanding officer decided that we would be the ones who would be the last men and women standing on the field of battle? Do you know Christ well enough to trust him? Do you know Christ well enough to take those words that your mission, that your life cannot be taken until your mission is accomplished? And I'm telling you right now that it's very likely that in this room there are men and women who will be the last man standing. Do you know him well enough? Do you know your commander well enough to trust him? Something to think about. Let's take a break right now and um, we'll come back with part two. Part two is going to be titled A Stern Warning. And um, I think you'll enjoy it. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.